0: Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, where every day of the week we're breaking down a question, event, news, or trend. My name is Bobby Cruella. I'm from Mavs Digital. Joining me today is a man who is sporting an awesome old school Mavs headband. It's really getting me, like it's a bandana, not a headband, but it's really getting me pumped for the retro throwback jerseys. I dusted off on my old, you know, sweatpants and hoodies and everything. I'm getting like real emotional getting ready for basketball. And I know you are too, Isaac, because you got the gear on too, uh, you're looking great, my friend.
1: Hey, did you know the Mavs are bringing the green back?
0: Uh, I've heard. I've heard <laughs> from from numerous people about that one.
1: We are. Uh, we're both super excited about that. And the city jerseys that were uh, launched. I guess what was it last week? And Mavs Daily had a good pod on that. Was it? I want to say a week, or a week and a half ago with Allison. If you guys haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that pod on just everything about the jerseys and. Uh, I love, this is my favorite city jerseys for the Mavericks. This, uh, this girl, I've been running this joke that it's the blue and black, like the dress. And I'm like, that's what I see, but ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. I, I, I love the white and gold though. I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah. It's a good looking Jersey. It is a good looking Jersey. And thank you for bringing up that episode too. Cause Allison was great on there. Becca and Lizelle got her, uh, for an interview and she kind of ran down like the whole, uh, like your association icon, uh, city and the statement, I spent a good deal of time talking about, like, the design process of the whole jersey and how, like, now the players are starting to get involved, uh, giving feedback, like, throughout the design process and stuff. It's really cool. And then she also talked a little bit about the throwback, too. So, uh, all in all, should be a good year to watch the Mavs. Uh, and Isaac, your uh, your bandana on your forehead is really nice, and that'll that'll come in handy for, I don't know how many times they're wearing the jerseys. Pro- what a, probably, like, ten times, maybe, five yeah, five, bad. ten games, something like that. And the court, too. I'm excited about the court. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It, it is going to be awesome. Uh, okay, so today we are talking, after hearing from uh, Dwight Powell and Jalen Brunson this morning, and as fate would have it, the point of today's episode is talking a little bit about the roster and how maybe some, I don't really know if you want to call it minutes battles. I don't really think that it's like that combative, but how the rotation might shake out uh, at both the kind of the... Nominal point guard spot and the center spot, and I know yesterday Isaac, you and I were talking about kind of the roster moves and 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 who makes up this twenty man group, and I said like it's probably a little too premature to uh, talk about how the point guard minutes will shake out off the bench, especially as it relates to like Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke, and and JJ, and we'll talk about the fifteen man and all that stuff too, but JJ or Jalen, sorry, excuse me, kind of brought it up a little bit today too, so. Uh, I figured it's probably a good time to talk about it. I know that that's that's something that that you've been paying a lot of attention to as well. And so, let's start with the guards. So I think that we're both kind of in agreement. It's going to be Lucas starting at one with either two wings, Porzingis and Dwight Powell, or three wings and uh, Porzingis. Some nights that might change, and of course injuries will happen, and you know whatever. Like for example, last season Maxi started against Zion Williamson. Um, yeah. So there will be times whenever other guys step up, but we can assume that it's going to be three or four wings and then one or two bigs, which means all these guys that are on the bench that are like 6'1", 6'2", Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke, J.J. Barea, Tyrell Terry, they're kind of all vying for the same set of minutes. There's probably 36 to 40 minutes off the bench that those guys can all sort of combine to claim. And so where is your head at when it comes to how that might shake out which combinations work can they play together and all that so i know it's like a really big topic so let's let's start going down that road
1: well no i mean yeah when you have luca at the one and you know josh richardson starting alongside luca and i would say we both agree that you know tim's probably going to start too you know alongside uh, josh uh, with luca then you have this the rest of the guys like you said and brunson and burke and you know bring him jj berea back and they drafted Tyrell Terry and, you know, Josh Green, six, six. Let's just say he's a wing and, you know, whatever he plays on the court at that point. But where do the minutes shake out? And, you know, when you swapped out Josh Richardson for Seth Curry, then, you know, Seth is obviously leaving that bench unit, uh, even though he started some games for Dallas, too. But where where does that leave when you when you bring in Trey Burke and the role that Burke played in the bubble? you know, they obviously had Seth in the bubble, but they didn't have Brunson in the bubble. And you bring back Brunson, you know, coming out of the bubble now into this new season. And it's like, all right, Brunson's your backup point. He can, you know, play, make, run the offense. Does Trey Burke step into that Seth Curry role? Does he, or does he, you know, does Brunson step, but like he was in the Brunson role kind of. So Sometimes I think we can focus on trying to put people in these boxes of like, all right, you have to be in this role or Burke was in the Brunson role. So what role is he going to play now that Brunson's back? It's, I don't think it has to be that complicated. I, I think, and you're, you're a big proponent of this too, that Trey Burke and Jalen Brunson, they can play together. And I, I'm pretty confident that they can play together and play together efficiently.
0: Yeah, I felt kind of vindicated today because someone asked about that. It might have been, it might have been Nick from Lockdown. It might have been Tim. I mean, I don't know. Jalen was getting a lot of kind of the same questions about playing time and rotational fit and everything, um, and he said that he thinks that he and Trey can play together. And I was like, yes, he must have listened to Mavs Daily yesterday whenever I talked about that. But yeah, uh, I think it's. I mean, it's it's a very reasonable thing to believe. I mean, remember. In the 20, you know, it's not apples to oranges to compare guys to past players or anything, but during the 2017-18 season, the Mavs' starting lineup was statistically like one of the worst in the league, and Dallas only won 24 games, and uh, of course, you know, they ended up getting Luka, and so everyone was paying a lot of attention to the standings during the season. I cannot remember how many times people got mad at me on Twitter because the Berea. Devin Harris, Yogi Farrell, three-guard lineup off the bench was just cooking teams, and like they thought it was going to cost them Mavs a top pick. Obviously, it ended up working out for everybody, but size off the bench doesn't matter as much as skill, in my opinion. Now, if you're in a position where you're starting Trey Burke and Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway in a playoff game, then yeah, I mean, size is going to hurt if Kawhi is on the other side of the floor, but coming off the bench if you just have guys who can play and who can go out and score and make plays for other people and get buckets and and basically the bench's job for most teams is to just like tread water for the Mavs they want to score when the bench comes in the game I mean they they want to have one of the top offensive benches in the league and so you want as much playmaking and as much talent off the bench as possible size is kind of secondary and so I think that a Brunson Burke pairing could work really well similar to JJ Devin Harris or JJ and Jason Terry, um, or, you know, Yogi Farrell in there too, who I, I love, I think is still looking for a job by the way, which is really weird. I thought he had a nice Um. season in Sacramento, uh, last season, but whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that they can, they can work really well together.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it would, um, I don't know this 100%, but I would assume that Trey Burke had other offers on the table from other teams around the league. And, you know, I was I was kind of worried that Burke might not be back in Dallas this coming season because I thought he played so well in the bubble that other teams across the league would say, all right, we I want to go get Trey Burke to be one of the main guards in our rotation. So for him to come back to Dallas when he knows that Jalen Brunson is back healthy and how much the team and organization values Jalen Brunson, for him to come back and to sign back in Dallas and he agrees to do that that means he has to believe that he can fit too with Brunson coming off the bench. And you know, Dallas believes in that too. So yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean, Rick, Rick freaking loves guards. Okay. So he loves playing multiple guards. He loves playing three guards sometimes at times. So I want to see how Tyrell Terry plays into that too. You know, is he the, if you're, if you have to power rank these guards off the bench and uh, those four guards, I mean, I think it's safe to say JJ's fourth on that list, you know, coming back and just his age and everything, but where does is Tyrell Terry locked into that third spot? If we're doing the Brunson, you know, Trey and then Terry and Berea, and is there lineups to where they run a Brunson Burke, Tyrell Terry at, at points, you know, in the season, I don't know off the bench. Like it, I wouldn't put it past Rick, but I would say the Brunson Burke, combo off the bench is definitely something that can work
0: yeah i think and and this may complicate matters with the g league potentially exploring a a bubble kind of idea for their season in atlanta if they're you know allowed to sort of resume as normal as normal as can be then it'd be super convenient for tyrell terry tyler uh and tyler bay as well who's on a two-way deal but you know there's there's much uh, more lax, I guess, rules about two-way guys spending more time with teams this year. So Bay and Hinton, that would be great for them as well. But if the Legends were still playing in Frisco, I would think that Tyrell would spend a lot of time in Frisco. Um, but if they're doing a bubble, it's a little more cumbersome to get in and out of that thing. And so I, I would imagine he'll spend more time with Dallas. But either way, I, I'm not sure that he's going to have like a rotation spot right out of the gates, unless, of course, he proved himself in camp, which is extremely possible. But um,
1: and, and Rick And Rick mentioned how rookies to keep in mind, you're like this is the, the quickest turnaround we've ever seen for rookies. It's like, normally we have a draft in a normal pre COVID world that in, you know, what June we have the draft. And then it's July, August, September, <laughs> October camp, you know, and then like, we're getting into preseason games at that point. Now it's bam, bam. Rookies are here and rookies are just getting thrown in. So I think it's important for everyone to kind of, bring back the expectations a little bit for Terry Bay, Josh green too. that. Hey, these guys literally just got drafted like a week ago, you know, two weeks ago. And now they're in a training camp and the first preseason game is next Saturday. So, I mean, this is a, a super quick turnaround and we got to give the rookies time.
0: Yeah. I don't think there's any problem with, you know, obviously they don't want to view it this way probably, but this is going to kind of be like almost a red shirt year. I feel like for, for yeah. a lot of rookies around the league. Um, maybe some will get a lot of minutes but I feel like coaches and and management and stuff is probably going to like reserve judgment on a lot of these guys for at least a very long period of time because no summer league no camp no where I mean nothing it's just like boom we're going um, now that said last year especially in games when both Luka and KP were healthy the Mavs were in a lot of blowouts you know they they did kind of blow the doors off some teams and this year you know that's they're going to do that to teams and there are going to be times when teams do that to Dallas because uh, there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. There's going to be a l- unfortunately, injuries happen all the time. But this year with COVID, there are going to be guys that could miss time because of COVID, and so you're going to be in a situation where, on some nights, you're going to be going up against like an eight-man lineup or something, and like you yeah. could just you could just beat them down because they're playing the third and four nights, or maybe that's going to happen to you. And so if you're a rookie, you need to be ready to like seize that opportunity uh, if, if you get playing time you know, in the second half of a, of a decided game or something like that. But with Brunson, um, last season I was curious because the Mavs roster makeup was a little different last year. Uh, of course, whenever Jalen was healthy, they didn't have Trey Burke. And so in the earlier part of the season, before he suffered that injury in February, Really, his only competition off the bench was DeLon for most of the season because J.J. was kind of this break you know, glass in case of emergency sort of guy. And so Jalen last year played, let me see, pulling up the great basketball reference, played 1,000 minutes, and he played uh, less than 40% of those minutes with no other guards on the floor. So that's no J.J., no Luka, no DeLon. So for about 60% of the time, Jalen was playing with another – point guard essentially uh and and Jalen DeLon was kind of like the big group for a while and at the beginning of the year it was Jalen DeLon Seth all off the bench together it was like a trio and then they kind of broke broke up (laughs) I guess as as boy bands do Seth eventually moved into the starting lineup and then Jalen got hurt and so you know there is precedent there Jalen spent you know three-fifths of his time last year playing with another guard Trey last year, I thought, you know, it was a small sample size, only in the bubble, but I thought he was at his best when he was able to play off Luka. He's not having to, like, bring the ball up the floor, initiate the offense and everything. He can just take the pass from Luka, you know, come off a cut, go out there. they run all these little Iverson cuts for him and stuff, you know, come off the move, catch the ball, and attack the defense that way, where there's much less pressure on you to create for other people. And Jalen, I feel like, is an excellent kind of quarterback in that sense, and Burke is a much better driver attacker to the rim maybe interior finisher and so I feel like they kind of complement each other really well especially going up against backups.
1: Yeah, I mean that that blueprint was set in the bubble like you said with with Luka and Burke and you know they're, they're going to look at how that worked in the bubble for Trey and it's like how can we duplicate that with Brunson running that, you know, combo with him and like you mentioned earlier. I mean, we had JJ and Devin doing this for how many years in Dallas and it's like all right, well those two guards coming off the bench stuff. So Yeah, I think that works for sure. I think looking at Brunson, even we can transition to the bigs too. I think one of the things that I'm looking at, and I I was actually thinking about when I was saying, you know, be patient with the rookies is how many people are coming into this camp for Dallas that hasn't played since before the bubble. And we can go into the bigs on this too. But like, if you just go down the roster right now and counting the rookies, I mean, looking at Jalen Brunson uh, Tyrell Terry, uh, you know, Josh Richardson played in the bubble, but like Josh green, he's obviously a a rookie in that Tyler Bay. Then you're looking at James Johnson who didn't play in the bubble, looking at Willie who didn't play in the bubble. Um, you're looking at Dwight Powell who didn't play in the bubble. So there's a, a good chunk of players that Dallas is bringing into camp right now, returning players and new players that haven't played since February. You know, February, March, something like that. So I think that's one of the bigger things. And specifically the front court with KP and without KP right now, it's more without KP, how they start the season, how they play the preseason. How do you see, like, what's your mindset with the front court right now with camp underway?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. So I want to backtrack a little bit. So the fact that we're talking about Tyrell Terry is like potentially the 14th or 15th guy, I feel like is a really important, point to make or a really important kind of thing to have uh, to keep in mind because at the end of that Clippers series and this kind of speaks to all the guys who missed time there were a lot of I I guess sort of fan nerves about the team's lack of depth and again you know no Brunson like you said now they signed Trey Burke to replace him that's cool uh no Dwight Powell and no Willie Colley Stein who they acquired to replace Dwight Powell and so they were down like two-ish, three rotation players depending on how you want to view it. And of course KP was out as well. So any playoff team, if you take away three or four, depending on how you want to look at it, of their players, they're gonna struggle. All of those guys are back now and they added more players. And so they have a lot of depth. And if if we're gonna continue to assume that it's like Luca, Richardson, Hardaway for sure, and Porzingis, obviously, in the starting lineup, then that fifth spot, that swing spot, either goes to Dorian Finney-Smith or to Dwight Powell. I think that could be a thing that changes depending on the opponent, but let's just operate under the assumption that it's going to be Dorian. So, off the bench, you're going to have Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, Boban, Willie Cauley-Stein, and I understand people thinking that that's just too many bigs because Dallas is kind of like pretty all-in on this four, five-out kind of thing, and so, you know... Dwight and Willie, probably, Willie and Boban, definitely, like, those guys can't play together. So you're having a yeah. bunch of guys who can't share the floor together on your team. So are you, like, quote-unquote, wasting roster spots? I don't think so, just because there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs. Like, Boban is not playing in back-to-backs. You know, like, Porzingis, obviously not playing. I don't know about Dwight Powell, but, like, you know, they have a lot of, like, natural restrictions with these guys. And you talked about it before. I think you did a thing for Mavs.com about it, actually, about Donnie kind of, like, talking about the center position as a bullpen. Uh, yeah. At least with your traditional fives. And if you think about it, Dwight, Willie, and Bobon all do sort of different things. Willie is kind of similar to Dwight with the rim rolling aspect, but he's much more of like a natural shot blocker. Whereas Dwight gives you a little more beef like Bobon, but Bobon takes it to the extreme. So they all kind of give you like a different sort of toolkit. And of course, that's not even including Maxi, who is a very unique player in his own right. So I don't think it's too bad to, to have those guys. Of course, James Johnson. Can play four or five two, um, but it is you know there's a, there's a little bit of a, of a of a glut at that spot. But again, I mean, if you if you view it in terms of like specialists, and let's just say that KP is healthy and giving you 32 minutes a night, like Boban's not going to get his feelings hurt if he doesn't play. But on the games where they're going up against Jokic, like Boban will play, you know, yeah, and and that's with everybody healthy. And you know, of course there will be injuries and things like that. So I don't really think it's an issue. Uh, I think that they can afford to have a couple extra roster spots dedicated to big men. Um, but, you know, we'll see, maybe I'm wrong. What do you think?
1: No, I mean, th- that's the thing. It's it's just like Donnie kind of, you know, made that analogy of the bullpen that there's certain relievers in baseball that they don't pitch every single game. I mean, it's just, it's based off lineups. It's based off, you know, a guy coming to the plate and he's a lefty and it's like, all right, let's bring in this reliever to, that's a better matchup for him. And it's just like you said, like, we could play the Rockets one night, and hardly any of those guys might not be playing at all. And but you might see more James Johnson minutes that night. Um, but then you could play somebody like you know, let's say the the Clippers against Zubots or you know Denver with Jokic, and we could see Boban getting a lot of those minutes, and maybe a guy like James Johnson isn't playing as much. That's the that's the type of flexibility and that approach combined with the COVID, you know, unknown of this season to where you might lose some players here and there combined with KP that Rick was very adamant of saying at the first day of training camp saying, Hey, it won't be until at least January and then we're going to monitor from there. We'll keep everybody updated, but combine that with KP. And even when KP comes back, you have to assume that there's going to be some type of load management in a way. That's why I I don't see any issue with the amount of bigs we have on a roster because they all bring something different. Like you said, And I think you have to have that.
0: Yeah, and and Willie especially I think is important because he's the guy, the center, during the time that KP is out who I think can most closely approximate the rim protection aspect. Like Dwight and Boban aren't big blocks guys. Maxie is, but he's much more of a perimeter player um, on offense, which is good because it sort of approximates KP's impact. But defensively, I feel like he's better suited – against fours where he can go out and switch on the perimeter the Mavs run this you know kind of semi-conservative drop scheme and Willie is you know much much better at that I think it's kind of like KP and he can pick and pop now yeah oh yeah yeah he's working on a shot which a it's important Boban takes some threes crowd loves it but uh Willie last year only played 13 games again he he missed the uh bubble due to the the birth of his daughter um which is awesome but small sample size of the Mavs only played 157 minutes and it was during a time i think whenever he first started playing Luca might have been out um I, I yeah 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 he 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 joined the Mavs right at the end of january right whenever Luca sprained his ankle and so they were kind of on this weird rotation anyway um and then he played up through the bubble whenever KP was missing times to, uh toward the end of that as well but anyway in 157 minutes on the floor the Mavs had 104.9 defensive rating whenever he was on the floor. Again, that's a very small sample size. A lot of those minutes came in one game against Atlanta. I think Trey Young might not have even played that game. Um, so, you know, take that number for what it's worth. But 104.9 is elite to the point that it would have ranked third in the NBA last year overall. And so he's a big-time defender. And he's he's kind of like, if you remember Nerlens Noel, I mean, he's sort of that guy Super athletic, quick-footed big man can make a lot of plays. Just irritates people on the perimeter. Can poke, you know, poke balls away, things like that. Protect the rim, rebound, run the floor. Um, it, it gives him a very unique sort of look that you know you're not going to be able to get from anybody else in the same way that you would from KP. So I feel like Willie's role early is going to be very important. As the year progresses, I'm not sure. I would be interested in watching a porzingis Kali stein court duo. I think that would be pretty yeah. interesting. I don't know if it would be good, uh, but that's the kind of experiments that Rick is going to run. But to your point, you were talking about going up against Zubac, who terrorized the Mavs in the playoffs, and Jokic, who was in the conference finals. So you you got to start accounting for him, too. You didn't even mention Anthony Davis, like, yeah. and Carl Towns. I mean, and and Phoenix with Ayton now is going to be a problem. I mean, there's a lot of big men on these top teams in the West, Gobert, who can be really, really problematic players when constructing a defense, especially when paired with dynamic guards who can get them going in the pick and roll. So you've got to have a bunch of capable big men. you got to have a bunch of guys who can give fouls, like... Even though this is the era of pace and space and small ball and all that stuff, there are a lot of giants that you still have to be ready to slay if you want to make a playoff run.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed out Willie's 13 games. You know, Willie hasn't had a training camp in Dallas. You know, they traded for him. I think his first game was uh, January 25th, I think. And, you know, he plays those 13 games and then, you know, the league shuts down and we haven't got to see him since, and so that's, I think it's important to remember that, like, Dallas obviously believed that, you know, when Dwight went down, they saw an opportunity to go take a flyer on a guy like Willie Colley Stein, and get him from Golden State, and say, hey, let's see if we can fit him into that Dwight Powell role, and now they bring him back, and now he gets a full training camp in Dallas, a full, whatever training camp looks like right now, but, like, he gets a training camp in Dallas, he'll get an opportunity, so, like, that's the, that's a player that if I had to pick two players that I'm really watching in camp, it's Willie Colley Stein because it is the first training camp and all that. And I'm looking at James Johnson too, because we, you know, we've seen a little bit of him in Minnesota. And it's like, I want to see what version of James Johnson is coming to camp and to where if James Johnson has a lot left in the tank and man, he can contribute. I think he can have a big role in this team too. So, uh, but, but as far as the front court, Willie is one of those guys that, I think could surprise some people, especially at the beginning of the season of how many minutes he gets and just kind of of how effective he can be defensively and roll into the rim.
0: I want to hear your thoughts about James Johnson too, because that acquisition, like everybody, whatever. I mean, it's, it is what it is. People talk about basketball more in a financial sense than they do. Uh, than they have like throughout, you know, recent history or whatever. And so some fans might have seen that, oh, well, it's just a big fat expiring contract. Other fans might say, oh, well, it's just a bodyguard for Luka. He fights in MMA, ha ha. But I mean, James Johnson could play a little bit too. And so what I'm curious to hear you talk about is where, I mean, I know what I think about him, but where do you feel like he fits in? Is he more of a four, more of a five? Can he even play like combo forward, like put him out there with Maxi at like, three kind of four ish. I mean, I, I feel like he's strictly four or five, but depending on the matchup, you know, maybe whatever, but, uh, what, what is James Johnson as a player?
1: So PJ Tucker fits great in Houston. And I don't and like in his PJ Tucker. I almost feel like he's kind of one in his, in itself. but I want to say in that, that type of mold to where, I think he is more of a four. I think he can't play a small ball five, but also like, I mean, he, he played 14 games in Minnesota last year, played 18 games in, in Miami too. But I want, I want to see where he's at because right now he is what? 30, he's 33 years old and, and, you know, he he shot a little over three, three threes a game last year in Minnesota in those 14 games. He shot at 37%. So I'm like, all right, can he be Dallas's version of a PJ Tucker if he's fully healthy? And that's, that's what I'm really looking at. And it's like, yeah, we know all the things. And I'm kind of falling to that, that side of what you were mentioning that I feel like anytime we mention James Johnson, it's just, Hey, well, he's going to fight somebody because he has a martial arts background. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't think he gets paid millions of dollars to do martial arts, okay? He gets paid millions of dollars to play basketball. Also,
0: when was the last time there was a real fight in an NBA game? Like, <laughs> Kermit Washington? Like, I mean, what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, but but I do love that. I, I love that about his, his game, too, because I do think the toughness that he does bring is something that Dallas does need. So, But I think he, he still can be a good basketball player, and that's what I'm anxious to see. Can Dallas use him in a way – that a Houston or somebody could use a PJ Tucker as his four, you know, bigger body four because I think he's like 240, 250 You know, he he ain't going to get pushed around down there. So uh, I think that's the type of role that I'm looking at, is like a Dallas version of a PJ Tucker.
0: The fact that he only played 18 games in Miami is kind of interesting to me, and I, he was contending for minutes down there, obviously with Bam out of bio. So like, you know. Bam is going to play a ton of minutes and then they had Olinick and you know Myers Leonard whenever he was healthy was playing a lot and you know they had some other guys on that team as well um he played a lot in Minnesota though so he was traded there at the deadline right or, or right around the deadline or how, how did he end up there I don't remember was, there was some like five team trade that with D'Angelo Russell was he a part of that do you remember
1: uh yeah it was at the yeah it was at the deadline it was you know yeah it was Miami Minnesota uh and Memphis in that and that was the Jay Crowder you know the Jay Crowder trade the Justice Winslow trade he was in that to where he went to Minnesota
0: okay yeah so he didn't play a lot in Miami but he played a ton in Minnesota which is interesting to me because he was very good and now he played I think two games against the Mavs in that stretch but one of them in particular was in Dallas I want to say right before the All-Star break, maybe, or maybe right after. And Dallas was just smoking Minnesota. I mean, they were up like 25, 30 points or whatever. And then in comes James Johnson. And basically, like, single-handedly pulls them back to within the game to the point where I think it was down to single digits in the late in the third or early in the fourth or something. And I was like, dude, like, get James Johnson out of the game, Minnesota. Like, what are you doing? Like, I, I felt like a lot of Mavs fan felt whenever JJ was torching teams in 2018. To bring it full circles, like what Are you, you're like, you're trying. You're supposed to be losing, and he's so good. So I feel like he's got a lot left in the tank. And now whether he, you know, his three point shooting numbers throughout his career haven't always been great or anything. Thirty seven is really good, but I think he can be more than a shooter. You know, he can attack the rim. Uh, obviously, physical presence on defense and everything, and, and, and on the glass. But I, I feel like there is a lot left to his game. To the point where I don't know if uh, I don't know where he fits in in the rotation. Maybe it's like kind of maxi's backup on nights whenever he can't go or something. I I don't know, but uh, I feel like there's a lot left to him and much, certainly much more than just an expiring contract.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of like w- we talked about the center spot being a rotating or a, a bullpen. It's kind of like if you compare him to like Dorian, I'd say Dorian's a little bit more agile. He's a little bit more you know, Dorian. I could put Dorian out there against a Russell Westbrook. I could put him out there against a two-guard, some ones in a league. I'm not doing that with James Johnson, but... There's some guys that, you know, some fours in the league that w- might be able to uh, push Dorian around a little bit down low. They're not going to be able to push James Johnson down low. So it, James Johnson kind of gives you a 6'9", six, 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 250 guy who can step in as your four, small ball five that can body some people down low, but also, you know, can guard a little bit on the perimeter too, but not... Exactly like Dorian too. say so it's all about flexibility. And that's one of the biggest things that I think Dallas did this past week, two weeks was they built a roster. They got better, but they built a roster that allows them to be flexible from the starting unit on down through the bench.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I would say, you know, we spent so much time talking about the guards. Now some of them can play together, but they're probably like the most like limited, like ones and fives are like the most like schematically limited players On your team because point guards are really only guarding point guards for the most part and centers are really only guarding centers and a lot of centers you know aren't switching onto guards and shooting threes and everything and so they're kind of like solidified within their roles but this is something that i i think donnie's talked about and certainly rick has talked about and and cuban as well i'm sure but whenever you your two best players your two foundational pieces are luca and porzingis who are two of like the most versatile talents in the entire NBA, like Luca may be the most, like he can play one through four. And I'm sure at some point in his career, he'll be playing a little bit of center too. You know, if the league gets really small and KP is like a five, but a four and plays like a two, like you want a lot of versatility around them, which is like Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway Jr. are great. But Finney Smith, James Johnson, Maxi Kaliba, like that is true versatility because Finney Smith, James Johnson and Maxi Kaliba can really all guard the same exact players but some of them can do it better than others. But like there are matchups for Dorian, like Kawhi Leonard, for example. Maxi was better on Kawhi. James Johnson, I feel like, could do a good job on Kawhi, whereas Dorian can do a much better job against somebody like Paul George or James Harden than probably Maxi or James Johnson could. So like, yeah. that's real versatility to where you could play all of those guys together, really, if you wanted, and be just fine on defense. So it's about surrounding your, your stars and surrounding your ones and your fives with guys who can switch off. And, you know, maybe maybe they're not all playing on the same night, but whenever they do play, they can have certain matchups that they specialize in and can kind of like I, – I don't know. You you don't want to be one-dimensional as a team. And last year – and, you know, we can talk about last year all you want, but last year the Mavs did a, a very good job, I, I feel like, of stepping out of the being kind of an older veteran team and stepping into the, like the new era of basketball. But they had a lot of the same types of – players from a physical standpoint like delon wright justin jackson lanky very similar to dorian like so last year's team was long but it was just it was a kind of light you know what i mean this year they yeah. added a little bit of beef you know like josh richardson is a little slender too but james johnson is like you know he's not to be trifled with physically but also he's just a thick dude like they brought some more some more heft into the mix which i feel like really matters especially after seeing what Kawhi did to them
1: And Tyrell Terry gained 20 pounds this (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I mean, whether it's true or not, it's important that he does, you know? So I I hope that I hope it's true.
1: No, but, but honestly, I mean, James Johnson's like a rock and I mean, yeah, the team got tougher this season and this off season. And I think the wing depth, it feels like we say this all the time, but like you can never have enough, you know, six, six to six, nine guys on your roster. And, Last year, the last time we saw the Mavericks play basketball, we saw guys like Seth Curry uh, at what six three, maybe six two, uh, trying to guard Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and it's in the fourth quarter Seth. of a
0: close elimination game.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's nothing against Seth. We love Seth but that's not ideal and now look what dallas has done over the past few weeks they've added some more wing depth they drafted a guy like josh green and tyler bay and even you know the two-way spots are both what six eight six nine guys um we have we have depth now at the at the wing spot and something that we're not really used to in dallas right now
0: yep and that's another reason too i'm glad you brought up the two-way guys Legends are gonna be so much fun, man. I, I don't know what's gonna happen. So like Devontae Patterson, Freddie Gillespie, rounding out the training camp roster, and we haven't even talked about Wes Wundu, too. My God, that's another yeah. that's another rangy wing. Uh, I think he's got close to a seven foot wingspan, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm making that up, but he's got he's got a long wingspan, can step out and defend a lot of guys as well. And we did we haven't really talked about the 16th roster spot, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want. But um, between Tyler Bay and Nate Hinton, who are two really active players, and then Freddie Gillespie, who's a great defender, like. Again, if Patterson and Gillespie don't end up making the team and the Mavs waive them, they could play for the legends That, in, in the nature of the, kind of their contract and the rules the, that the NBA sets up. That's something that's going to be really interesting to watch too because there are a lot of draft guys that are very, very high on Freddie Gillespie uh, in particular. And it'll just be pretty interesting to watch those guys down there you know, as the Mavs continue to sort of like optimize their roster right like they're they're kind of like harvesting this group of versatile defenders uh down for the legends with george galanopoulos down there coaching those guys so it's gonna be really interesting to watch but yeah i forgot about the the end of the roster and and west versus i guess the people are viewing it as west versus jj if you want to view it that way which may or may not be true do you want to talk about that or do you want to save that kind of as part of a future episode
1: Um. well i just think that that last spot you know one i think that there's multiple ways to create the last spot too. It's not just, you know, there is an option. They could trade somebody, you know, if they did make a, another trade, they could open up a spot. It's not just as simple, which, you know, a lot of times it is that route of just, Hey, they're going to weigh somebody or cut somebody. But I did want to throw that out there. I've just seen constantly. It's like, Oh, they got to cut somebody. It's like, it's not always uh, cut, but, but yeah, I mean, that's what, if you follow the money part, I will say this, that it's not you should totally- always
0: follow the money
1: follow the money. It's not always just about the guaranteed contracts because you know, how, how many years ago was it? Was it three, four, gosh, maybe even five years ago that Sam Dallin was on a guaranteed contract, you know, coming into camp and a guy by the name of Salah Mezri, uh, shout out to Salah. We didn't know Salah was going to get a shout out I on his pod. Love that guy. <laughs> um, I love Salah. Oh dude. The funny, one of the funniest guys ever, but he comes into that training camp and beats Bear out. And D'Alembert had a guaranteed contract. And so I think that that sets a tone. It's an example of, hey, just because you are here under a guaranteed minimum contract, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a roster spot. So it's I'm saying all that because it's not the craziest thing in the world that Dallas has 16 guaranteed roster spots. They're going to let it play out. Dallas is obviously okay with paying whoever they're going to cut the money that they're guaranteed uh, to pay them. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think the the natural thing is JJ versus Wes Owandu. And uh, it's talking about polar opposites. You got a young, you know, linky uh, flyer type of wing that a young Orlando team you know, let hit uh, let hit unrestricted free agency. He could have been a restricted free agent uh, in Orlando, and they you know bypassed that. And I mean, he's what twenty five, I think, twenty four, somewhere through there. And and then the polar opposite, you have, uh, you know, a, a late thirties JJ Barea, uh, who is the la- as Rick described it the other day. You know, I had to ask Rick about you know the impact JJ has on the team because I love JJ Barea, and you know. He's like, he's the last person left from the 2011 championship team and how much he means to this team. And I mean, Luca just put him on his Instagram the other day then playing tennis up at Bent Tree. So like Luca obviously loves JJ. So it's like the polar opposites of if it's them two against each other for the last spot in camp of like, where you want to go with that spot.
0: Yeah. And one thing that they have in common, and this still is the case. So like, even though they, they lost Seth and, and, you know, Wes Matthews was kind of like the leader of like the undrafted group um until he was traded away the Mavs still have a roster full of guys who are either undrafted or taken in the second round Wes taken in the second round JJ undrafted so like these guys are similarly hungry and so if they really are competing against each other then it's like a no holds barred battle but yeah. still look up and down hey, no. the team Josh Richardson second round pick you know Dorian Finney-Smith undrafted sure. Maxi Kleba, undrafted Dwight Powell second round pick those guys are like starters Tim Hardaway was like the 25th 26th pick in the draft, I mean, really, Luca and KP. I think there might be other guys on the team. Trey Burke. I would really have to think about what.
1: What? Trey Burke. A pretty high. Oh, draft Trey Burt. Burke.
0: What? I think Trey Burke was like number nine. I think maybe. So, I mean, there still are some lottery guys on this team, but it's still very much a team that is made up of guys who like have kind of been overlooked, and I feel like that has sort of, I don't know. In in the same way, and we talked about it yesterday too. There are differences between. Miami's and Dallas's culture, from an organizational standpoint, but this is very much like a chip on your shoulder, you know, hard work is better than like merit kind of uh, ethos that the Mavs have have established here, and uh, you know both and, and JJ Bray has kind of exemplified that, and so Wes, I don't know if he's competing against JJ or if he's kind of doing his own thing. I have no idea. Again, I'm not privy to that sort of information, uh, despite you and I being best friends with Rick Carlisle, uh, but. Yeah, I mean I I think either way you're going to get a guy who's ready to work.
1: Yeah, and and if, you know, if JJ is the odd man out, look at the ages on the team at that point. That only leaves two guys over the age of 30 on the team. You have Boban and James Johnson who will both be 32. Everyone else on the team will be under the age of 30. So that that's another uh, I think another reason behind like, you know, JJ Barrett being in camp right now and if he does make the the final roster, that they don't have a ton of, you know, 30s vets that are on the team saying, hey, like, this is what happened and blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of guys in their 20s. It's a very young team. It's a, you know, for a team that um, I would say a lot of people outside of Dallas, you know, too is expecting to have big expectations this year. Or at least they progress around in the playoffs. It's still a young team. And. I just, I'm kind of bummed that we don't get a summer league because this would have been a fun summer league team, I think, of Josh Green and seeing Tyrell Terry take 30 shots and uh, Tyler Bay and Hinton and Gillespie. Like, seeing these guys, like this would have been a fun summer league team to watch this year. And and, and I don't know if you always get that excitement for like a, a team with some young guys like that for a team that's going to be, or we hope that's going to be really good in the regular season too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think as the team continues to get younger, you're going to see new voices sort of emerge as the leaders in the group. KP is a pretty vocal guy, and, you know, Luca's sort of a – Luca's like the face of the team. I'm not sure how much of a, like a vocal leader he is. It took Dirk a while to kind of develop into that, so I don't know if, if – I don't know where Luca falls on that spectrum. But I feel like two of the guys who are going to be very vocal business-like in their approach and in their, in, in, in their character and in every sense of the word – are the two guys we heard from today, Jalen Brunson and Dwight Powell. You know, they're like, yeah. I am convinced that Dwight Powell is like a 45-year-old man trapped in a world-class athlete's body. Jalen Brunson, like all the things we said about Harrison Barnes are also true about Jalen. Like, just two of like the best people. And uh, so, no matter what happens with the end of the roster or in the future or whatever, the Mavs are in good hands from a kind of a character and leadership standpoint with both those guys and also the two stars. Um so yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of a good place to leave off, Isaac. Is there anything that we that we missed or uh, or any any last things you want to get off before we uh, move on to tomorrow?
1: I just want to say, be on the lookout for schedule stuff. I think as we've been recording the pod, they uh, the NBA announced some stuff for the beginning of the season, the first few days uh, before Christmas, and. Uh, I know we're all anxiously waiting. If you're listening to this, you've already seen it by now, but we're all anxiously waiting for the next time we get to see the Dallas Mavericks suit up and play a regular season basketball game again, and that's on the horizon.
0: Heck, yeah. It's happening very soon. Ready or not, basketball is upon us. You're dressed for it, Isaac, with uh, with your Mavs bandana. I'm dressed for it head to toe. Oh, and the NBA Jam shirt, too. That is a, that is a Dirk Luca one. That is very rare and very nice. I got my Mavs gaming hoodie on, my Mavs sweatpants on. We're both pathetic. Uh, So we (laughs) we clearly have not been in public for months, so please send help. Uh, He is Isaac. You can follow him on Twitter at Isaac o'harris. You can read all the stuff at Mavs.com. You can listen to him uh, oftentimes on this podcast as well as on Locked on Mavs, which is one of the most successful NBA podcasts in the game. Isaac is a freaking celebrity, and here he is giving me some of his time. My name is Bobby Carelli. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Corella or not. Either way is cool. Uh, It is Mavs Daily for reasons because we do it every day of the week. And since today is only Thursday, that means there is still one more day of Mavs basketball content coming at you tomorrow. And we will see you then.